0: Welcome into the maroon Mike, podcast. Number and co-host Andrew Miller joined by Dan Faulkner and Colton Watson. Gentlemen, football is back!
1: Yay!
0: Did we all I enjoy? We had, uh, I
1: wish we had. I wish we had sound effects, and you could play like an angelic choir or something like that. Right then, would have been would have hit so hard.
0: That requires more production than I'm willing to put into this show. Did we all enjoy uh, week zero and all of its glory? Yes, every. Uh,
1: I didn't get to watch quite as much as I would have liked, but yes. Uh Enjoyed, very much enjoyed uh North Alabama Mercer. That was awesome. Playing in a venue that I've been to. My brother played high school football there once. It's the, uh, that was fun. Hampton Bowl or Crampton Bowl, something like that? Hampton Bowl in Montgomery, yeah, or the yeah. Crampton, whatever. It was nice.
0: I watched about five minutes of that well, game. I I was mostly paying attention to FBS stuff. Uh, you know, getting our first. I, I I tweeted it out. When that I game loved- was
1: going on, when that, when the when the FCS game was going on, Navy was getting their teeth kicked in,
0: and that was my only option. They, they were, but I tweeted this out. I just I the Ireland game I've decided is a vibe, which I had forgotten. Like they've done this for several years. Like it, I think it had been a few years before last year with Northwestern and Nebraska. Um, But it's been a thing before. I just really had never watched it. Um, But after the last two years, and I understand, like, Mississippi State would never get the opportunity to go there because they're not a big brand. And then, like, you got to have at least one massive program that's going to bring a ton of fans. But, like, Dublin is on the bucket list. I think I would like to go to that game. It just seems like a total vibe for college football. Um, And also, you know, I was interested to see Sam Hartman uh, quarterbacking Notre Dame and what that would look like. I was also paying attention to Navy offensively. Um I for, I guess I missed. I knew Army was like completely like they're done with the triple option. They're basically – well, they're done with the triple option the way they've been running it. They're going to go to like more spread triple, like what Coastal Carolina was doing. Basically the new blocking rules in football, they've decided like, yeah, we – little inside football here. Triple option kind of requires cut blocks outside the tackle box which yeah. have basically been outlawed now in the rules. So a lot of the triple coaches are like, yeah, this, the offense has literally been made illegal, essentially. Navy is kind of sticking with it, but if you saw the game, instead of doing like their classic flex bone stuff, they got into a bunch of different formations. They um, started changing up. So that was interesting for me as, you know, scheme nerd and, and paying attention to that. But, you know, we got, Navy gave us our first sad field goal of the year, um, you know, down – like 42 nothing or whatever they were kicking a field goal. That was wonderful to see. Um, uh, you had absolutely
2: coaching down practice
0: at the end of of UTEP versus Jacksonville state, where you've got two two straight plays, third and one and fourth and one, uh, with a team that's built to run the football. They do have a good quarterback. They're built to run the football and they threw the ball both times. Um, you know, I would, I would, I would have argued for it if you were an air raid coach because that's my brand. But you are not an air raid coach. Uh, you literally line up your fullback out of the shotgun in a three-point stance, which is incredible to watch. Utah. Um but they didn't. Uh, they they didn't run there and they choked it away against Jacksonville State, who they should have beaten. Um,
1: Jacksonville State's know. first FBS game.
0: Yes. One zero. Rich Rod, very sweaty, very sweaty in the game. Um, also Rich Rod of all, like, I don't know why you should have to tell this to Rich Rod. We're spending way too much time talking week zero here, but you know, whatever. The The guy who like started always run, never pass out of the spread was throwing the ball way too much for having a quarterback who could not complete a pass. Like that dude, no offense to him. He cannot throw the football and they kept throwing it. Uh, that, but, you know, that, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, Hawaii gave Vanderbilt a legit scare and maybe should have won the game. Vanderbilt kind of – I mean, quarterback's pretty good.
1: It's the Mike um, effect. Vanderbilt with Mike Wright goes to Hawaii and wins by 50. Vanderbilt without Mike Wright, we all saw what happened.
0: I, I think clearly Mike Wright is Vanderbilt's run game that only functions when they have Mike Wright because – they could not run the football against Hawaii. They could throw it well, but they couldn't run the ball against Hawaii. They're
1: not going to be able to beat all Miss doing that.
0: Yeah, I know. So, week zero happened. Um, you know, USC still doesn't have a defense. We we had a lot, a lot of things to, to look at and laugh to, but now it's actual. Like, full on, week one, college football is here. You have your typical loaded Labor Day weekend slate, although actually a lot of the games are kind of mid, to be honest, for opening weekend of college football. Um, we'll get into some of those later as we'll do our picks for the week, but obviously the attention is on Mississippi state, uh, because we are a Mississippi state podcast and this is technically our big season preview show. Um, we, we decided we were going to, we'll do the preview show and the preview for the game in one episode. So you're getting everything a little bit early this week. Uh, just kind of one big, massive jam packed episode where we'll give our thoughts and expectations and predictions for the season and then dive in briefly, uh, what to expect MSU against Southeastern Louisiana. Um, So let's do it. Zach Arnett era officially underway. It is a new day and age in Starkville. Um, You know, you can see a big shift, obviously in the philosophies of what you're doing as a program with, you know, most everybody's focusing obviously on the offensive stuff. And that's going to be a big thing that we're going to be watching, but it's also the day-to-day operation of the program, putting more of an emphasis on being a recruiting first, uh, program and making more of your identity about being, I mean, embracing Mississippi state. Like it feels like there, there's been an, an effort to say we are going to embrace the, the great moments of Mississippi state football, the few that we've had, we are trying to embrace that and be that as a program. Um, so there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement. This is a team that's very veteran laden. This is a team that's coming off a nine win season. It has a lot of experience back from that group. There's a lot of buy-in for what Zach Arnett is doing. Um, just in general, uh, Dan, we'll start with you. Uh, wh- what are you looking for this season? What What, what are you um, – just your, oh, I guess, overall thoughts on the season. We're going to get into some specifics here in a minute, but just uh, big picture as, as we head into the Arnett era.
2: Yeah, I'm just excited because, you know, look, Mississippi State football is back. Uh, we kind of spent the spring with uh, some mid – Mississippi state sports and, and you just look the real thing. It's back. Y'all fall sports are back. I'm excited about that. Uh, and, and in reality, just about the uh, depth the football team, right? I'm sure to see, you know, how this offense kind of has a bit of a smooth transition. Uh, you know, all the experts, everyone will have their own opinions. It's not a huge shift. I don't think. So I'm ex- excited to just see, you know, kind of that smooth transition and see what kind of a coach Arnett is if he can pull that one win out of his tail that that he's not supposed to like uh like Mike Leach did. You know, you, you never know, right? We just don't know enough about Arnett yet. So it's kind of fun. No expectations. Am I right?
0: Bolton, how about you?
1: I'm just excited to have something to cheer for. It has it's been a while. Um, I mean, you know, I cheer for the Braves, I cheer for uh the Warriors, and the Braves are really good and uh golden state uh kind of bowed out of the playoffs early but they don't really scratch that ish. mississippi state scratches for me and then with baseball pretty much we all saw what was happening well before the season was over uh i think after that auburn weekend it was pretty much time to give up hope which i didn't but i should have um it's finally good to have something to, to to pontificate and go into excruciating pain occasionally over over but um very, very excited, obviously. I think something that uh, really excites me is just how much experience you have on this team. Um, and and if, to be fair, some of, some of us have oversold how much experience is on uh, this team, especially on the defensive side. But overall, I mean, we all saw the depth charts. I, a team with 19 out of 22 players being seniors can't be that bad. You know, they have to be at least somewhat good I'm just interested to see you know if you're if Zach Arnett has enough wherewithal to not throw games in the toilet and doesn't just you know in the Joe Moorhead-esque way if we avoid a Joe Moorhead first year type of coaching job you should be looking at a really really good season it's it's kind of like those banks that are too big to fail of course they did fail but um you've got too much age too much wisdom too much experience on this team to be to have a poor year. You know, you might have an average year, but I'm confident that a poor year is unlikely.
0: You mentioned the depth chart and that was the first big piece of news that we did get this uh this week cuz you know obviously season kicking off, you have to release a depth chart. Some interesting uh starters for MSU listed and obviously we can always say that, at times you're going to take a depth chart with a grain of salt, although there does seem to be some suggestion that this is the way they're going to roll with it. Um, but, you know, most of you seen it here, but the big position battles that, that stood out uh, left tackle dollar bill Johnson still listed as the starter. There was a lot of hype around Percy Lewis having taken that job in camp. And at least for now dollar bill still listed as a starter. Now I believe I saw uh, uh, Mike Schmidt, the offensive tackles and tight ends coach, he was interviewed and mentioned that we those two are still battling for that job over the remainder of the week, and I'm sure throughout the season as well. So, I, look, I don't know if that's anything that's set in stone, which I don't know if any of these are set in stone is kind of the point, but that is interesting. For It kind of feels like there was a mix here on the depth chart of there were a few names that kept coming up in camp, like this guy sounds like he's going to take a starting job, and then you don't necessarily see it pan out. For example, one that I'll look at, defensive end. Uh, the, for a while the talk was okay. Is it going to be Demonte Russell or is it going to be Jordan Davis? But then there was a ton of buzz around Deontay Anderson, and he having a big breakout year and taking that starting job. But right now it's uh, Demonte Russell still listed as the starter. Um, obviously Simeon Price listed as uh the number two back, although technically he is as an or alongside Simeon Price. Uh, did I say Simeon Price twice?
1: Yeah. Seth Davis.
0: Seth, Seth Davis. Davis. Yeah. As I said, I was like I said that twice. Seth Davis, true freshman running back out of Texas, that I think everybody assumed coming into the year. All right, he's probably going to redshirt, right? You have four other players on the roster at running back who you feel are all capable, but apparently the guy's been too good to keep off the field. And look, that's the case. And something
1: with him is, I think, I think he's your. You've got five running backs. I think the other four, and maybe Pittman's the exception. Maybe he's a little bit of a. Of more of a third down back, kind of a big, you know, a third and short kind of guy. But the other three are all kind of similar. And then you got Seth Davis. He's the, he's smaller, but definitely shiftier and quicker. And so he's kind of the only running back that gives you a really different look. So I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, he wouldn't be on the depth chart highly if Coach Barbe didn't have a, a plan for him. So I think that that's probably offensively the most interesting part of the depth chart release. I'm sorry to cut you sure. off.
0: Um, well, I mean, look. Also, Justin Robinson listed as an or alongside Freddie Roberson. Um, you yeah, know, I
1: think he's been hurt.
0: He had he has been hurt, and I, I guess it's not 100 percent whether he's going to play on Saturday or not. Um, I know, his dad is active on Gene's page, so yeah, uh, he'll provide updates pretty regularly with what's going on um, going on there. But uh, it- it- I know he did say, you know. Justin's been hurt. They've been holding him out. I don't know though for sure whether or not he's gonna be playing on Saturday, which I mean, look, frankly, you probably don't need him. If he needs to rest up, let him rest. Um, but at the same time, I know he's a player, people are excited to see. There's a lot of potential there. But Freddie Roberson was a big time pickup for MSU out of the portal. And clearly, you know, he got here in the summer. It, it sounds like he's picked things up pretty quickly in his battle. You know, Antonio Harmon is listed as a backup slot receiver when he made the move to tight end in the spring. I, I wonder if they're saying we're gonna put him back at receiver and use him kind of as a slot type guy. It's just a bigger body slot. Or if they're saying, or if that's just the way the depth chart shook out, which to be fair, I think, I think, I don't know if we've pointed this out of the show with Rufus Harvey, no longer being a part of the program, your depth at slot is pretty thin. Like, you know, it's Tulu and then Creed Whittemore who is going to play and play significant snaps as a freshman. Those are your only two prototypical slot guys. So, Maybe they're saying you want in there, there to add a little bit of extra depth um, rather than putting him you know, behind the other guys at tight end who are more natural tight ends. Um, Sam Linebacker was the one that stood out to me. Uh, we've been talking mm-hmm. it, it, at, at length about J.P. Purvis versus John Lewis. Well, Deshaun Page is listed as the starter there, which Page has sort of been the backup at Will Linebacker for since last season at least, and I know was backup at Will in, throughout the spring, throughout camp. Listed at the starter at Sam, which is interesting. Um, he's got a little bit of a smaller build relative to uh, – definitely a smaller build relative to the other guys. So, you know, you wonder how well does that work for him at Sam Backer. But there is a point, and I saw this argued a while back on the message board when they were talking about getting the best linebackers on the field. Your best three linebackers are uh, Buki, Jet, and then Deshaun. He just happens to be a a backup to to Jet Johnson. If they're saying we want to get our best 11 players in the field, and I know they kept making the point about, you know, if we feel we need to put another defensive end out there, we will. I would say he's a better option than any defensive end, and he's definitely, I think, a more quality starter than Purvis or Lewis. It's just fit at a position. So I'm curious how they work that out.
1: I think – I remember – when they were talking about, oh, we're going to do a lot of, we might do some more four down linemen, and now the point wasn't, to me at least, the point wasn't, oh, we're going to get away from the three three five. We're just going to. I'm just making a point that we're not married to one scheme so much that we're going to stick with a certain scheme when it's a disadvantage. Now that you've kind of got Deshaun Page more of a prototypical linebacker, not really that rush edge kind of linebacker, maybe starting, maybe you do go to a, a four, a three four. Excuse me, a 4 3, and you kind of, uh, you know, remove a safety from the equation, which isn't hard to believe when you've got maybe a surprise starter, quote unquote starter at safety in Hunter Washington. Where well, they kind of go to a more regular defense, I guess.
0: The, the thing, though, you can't really just play a 4 3 anymore, though. Like, no, I'm You not, kind of I mean, you gotta, have, to be, have to
1: be. Playing, you'd have to be playing a, uh, you know, a run a very run heavy team. You it, it, basically you have, have like
0: the, the nickel defense has become the base for. I mean, most teams are playing a four two five now. When they're playing four two five for them, it's really like a four three, but instead of a linebacker, because there is technically a difference between a true four two five and then just nickel a, a a nickel defense. um It comes down to the the builds of your nickel defenders as opposed to just having a true, a third corner out there on the field. Um, obviously staying with a three, three, five, it's kind of in that form in that they've got three safeties. So I, like the discussion was going to have to be, are we taking a, are we going to put another end on the field and take off a backer? Or are we going to keep a backer out there? I mean, look, I don't know if this is actually going to be the starting three they roll out, but I did think that was interesting. I mean, if you're going to put any of those guys at Sam, Uki makes the best sense. He's the biggest he's the he's the best pass rusher of that group, and he's also the biggest. But he's also really good at Mike. So that, that'll be interesting to watch. Like you talked about, Hunter Washington has been bouncing back and forth, it seems, all offseason with what spot. They have him listed as a starting safety. Though. Um, you know, Asai Verge listed as a starter at corner, and you what you'll notice is uh there was a ton of talk about well there was a ton of talk about Hunter Washington potentially picking and taking a job. There was also a lot of talk that you could see a guy like uh oh my God, I've already forgotten his name. Kamari Rodgers, like challenge for a job. He's not listening on the 2D. Um they have Bryce Pollock as the backup to D Cam and they have DeCarlos Nicholson as the backup to Asias. So again, how much of this is set in stone, I have no idea. Um it's just it is something interesting to look look to going forward. Uh Dan, do you have any thoughts on this depth chart before we start moving on looking ahead to the season?
2: I like it. Let's roll. That's all I got to say. Football's back.
0: <laughs> it, there you go. You don't. You, we don't have to get too deep into it right there um, after we just got very, very deep talking into the depth chart. So, you know me. I don't know anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Like we, we just wanted to see if you had any commentary to add there. Um, <laughs> Not not just leave completely like just leave you out of the conversation, but obviously all of us are going to be contributing here uh, because we have. I sent everybody questions that they have to give their answers to. Uh, yes, Cole. Yes, y'all are not going to believe this.
1: So, can you remember the last time we opened a, a, with an FCS opponent?
0: Uh, Twenty eighteen. Eighteen.
1: Who did we play?
2: Stephen F. Austin. Keaton Thompson's quarterback. Who, who, who,
0: you wanna First wanna play of the, the game was a touchdown was? to Kylan Hill. It rained what? for like
1: you five guess minutes. Their, you want to guess who their O.C. was?
2: Kevin Barbe.
0: Yep. That's oh, crazy. I didn't know that. I – when you said it, it reminded me, but I knew he was at Stephen F. Austin like, for like a year in between stints with Jim McElwain.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Who do, yep. I, I? I if I'm surprised to find out, to realize I knew he was at CNF Austin too. I just never put two and two together. So it shocks me to realize that uh, him coming here to coach wasn't his first time here, that he's been to Starkville.
0: Yeah, and uh, now now we got another FCS team back in town for the opener with Barbe now calling plays for us. So uh, we'll, we'll go over the offense. Um, Big preview show here. Uh, obviously, also, if you're wondering, Lounge was not able to make it tonight. Lounge is still a part of the podcast, and he said he will be good to go for the recap show after the game. So, if you're looking forward to listening to Lounge, you will get him uh, later on, but wasn't able to make it for tonight. So, you, you're, you're going to have the three of us previewing the season. Um, starting out with the offense, I, I just want to go like general because, look, we did a big preview show about the offense, we did a big preview show about the defense. We've done preview shows for every single opponent the state is playing. So if you want to deep dive on any specific team or any specific side of the ball, go listen back to that stuff. But we're going to just break it down into some, some basic points here. You just talked about Kevin Barbe, big shift in offensive philosophy. You're going away from the air raid to more of a uh, balanced attack, at least balanced in the traditional definition of balance. Um, I always have to do that being the Mike Leach supporter and supporting his definition of balance. Um, But look, you're going to have much bigger emphasis on the ground game. You're going to take more deep shots downfield. You're going to get into more formations with more personnel groupings. You're going to use more shifts and motions and just run a wider number of concepts all around. You will still throw the football and probably throw the football a good bit, but it's going to look more like a lot of the other offenses you see out there as opposed to what MSU was doing that's been doing the last three years that was so drastically different than pretty much anything else. We'll start off here. Uh, first question, and we'll do this both for offense and defense, starting with the offense. What excites you about the offense? Dan, you can go first here. Short and sweet.
2: I'm excited to see what it looks like with two quarterbacks out there every once in a while, right? You know, Mike Wright, love the dude, awesome, smart guy as well, right? He was a student at Bandy And uh, uh, ready to see what that looks like, you know, see him on the field every once in a while. Obviously not going to be the day one starter, uh, that that job does belong to Will Rogers. But to see what Mike Wright can do,
0: I'm going have some fun. I'm ready to see that. Colton, what excites you about the Bulldog offense?
1: Uh, so I'm changing this from a concern to an excitement, okay? I'm excited that everybody on the offensive line is not only the senior, but a senior that has played if you look at the depth chart okay because we talked about how there was i think like back in the summer and stuff and in the spring it was like offense could be good if offense could be good if and that if was always centered around the offensive line not trying to drink the kool-aid of what everybody's saying after at press conferences at, at after practice and this week because you know you can only take so much from that so much i mean very 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 little but I believe that Kevin Barbet is not going to put players in a in a bad position. So I don't think he's going to run a bunch of stuff where it's going to really boggle their minds. And I think that having all those seniors, though, they can handle a little bit of change and that they're going to know what life is like in the SEC and that they're going to be able to move some people. Um, it all starts up front in this league, and you can't have a good offense without a good offensive line. So I'm cautiously – I will say this – cautiously excited about the offensive line. Uh just being an experienced group that's going to be able to push, you know, do, I hate to, I hate to recycle talking points that other people have that I don't always agree with, but they're built to run block, quote unquote. Um, I'm excited to see them try to push some guys around and maybe that tenacity will get after them. Although I will always go on the record saying what you did in college, when you have a hundred coaches on your team for the last three years is way more part of your football DNA than what you did in high school uh, at Kalamazoo, Mississippi Academy, or whatever the heck you were attending.
0: Very fair point. Very fair point. I'll, I guess I'll take the Normie answer um, that most I think most fans are going to give, but I am excited to see what Tulu Griffin does. Um, look, he's the most explosive player on MSU's roster. We've seen that in the kick return game. We've seen that in flashes the past few years as, as a receiver. And, uh, you know, it's been a big debate about him being in the outside of the air raid versus in the slot in this offense. I it had it explained to me why he was playing outside in the old offense. And you there's actually a justification for it. To And we're not going to go into all that right now. Um, but he wasn't as bad a fit at that spot as I think a lot of fans thought. But the, I think the issue was less, you know, where he was lining up, and more the fact that you weren't force feeding him touches. When it felt like every time he got the ball, he he was getting big plays. Now look, he has moved inside where he does. Look, like I said earlier, he looks like a prototypical slot receiver and has a lot of that skill set. Kevin Barbe has said since day one that that is a guy. But he he's preached about getting your best players the ball, and he has specifically singled out Tulu as this is a guy we want to highlight and. I think a mentioned note here, if you watch Central Michigan when Kevin Barbe was calling the offense, Khalil Pimpleton was a slot receiver who looks a lot like Tulu, has a very similar skill set, did a lot of special things within that system. And I think Tulu has an opportunity to have a breakout year and is is probably going to give uh, give defenses a lot of problems. So that, that's certainly exi- exciting to see uh, what what is able to do. All right, Dan, back to you now. What is a question you have about an offense? It doesn't necessarily have to be a positive, a negative. Um, it's just, what what is something you're curious about as we go into the next year offensively?
2: I wonder how more spread out the receptions are going to be between the receivers. I mean, it, it, it just felt like so many different guys. The only guy who really racked up so many receptions under Mike Leach was Makai Polk. Besides him, you, you really didn't have a whole lot of guys you know, who were going to just be d de- mank. I mean, last year's kind of Rufus Harvey – uh, he's kind of gone now. He he left the program. So, yeah, it's uh, – I wonder what that's going to look like, right? It, your starters being Xavier Thomas, Tula Griffin, and, and Justin Robinson. Uh, it, just curious to see what that looks like. So, small my offensive question.
0: You know, I, I was actually kind of wondering about this too. I meant to look this up earlier because it applies for a question we have later in the show. So I'm pulling it up now just kind of seeing how receptions were spread out at Kevin Barbay's last two stops. It looked like they did have like four guys in a similar close to each other at App State. Uh and now I'm pulling it up right now for Central Michigan. Um did have three players over 45, but one player with 62, Khalil Pippleton, the guy I mentioned earlier who had 860 receiving yards that year with uh But then they had another guy over 700 yards, a guy over 680 um their tight end had 31, um, 40 catches for the running back as well. So, I mean, that's another thing. They are just still going to throw the ball to the back. So, yes, Joavius Marks is going to become MSU's all-time leader in receptions, which is just hilarious to look at. Um, but, yeah, that is interesting to see. Like, does this become a case where we know they're not rotating receivers nearly as much as they did previously? Is it going to be, all right, one or two guys single themselves out? or is he still going to be a little bit of a spread the wealth amongst the players that are there? And I I kind of think with Will Rogers, you'll probably still get that spread the wealth because I think some of that, I think when you, when you get a, I think some of it's because of the nature of the type of concepts you're running, where it's a pro kind of, it's going to be a pro style passing game. But then also when you have a quarterback who's able to work progressions, and is not going to be like, I'm only throwing to this guy. Like he is my number one. That's, that's my number one, number two, those are my only options. Um, if you're willing to say, like, I'm going to get to my third or fourth read consistently, then that's how you start seeing those other guys start to get their reception. Job. So I still think it'll be a fairly balanced attack, but that's at least in terms of distribution of touches. But that's that's a good point. That is something uh, that I, too, have a question about. Colton, how about you?
1: I'm going to go the easy route for offensive questions. I'm not so, – I'm more I'm, – it's the tight end position, and not only am I – questioning like how well the tight ends are going to do, but how important are they? Because it, it's a new kind of thing. I'm going to be honest, even under Joe Moorhead and Dan Mullen, the tight end wasn't a focal point, at least in terms of like, catches. I think we all kind of, we used to complain with Dan Mullen, like, man, why don't we throw it to Farai Green more? I, I remember that. And with Joe Moorhead. Um, you had that kind of RPO where the tight end would leak out uh, across the line of scrimmage and Nick could either keep it or, or sling it out to him. I remember that play, but that was, you know, really the only thing you kind of drew up for the tight end. I wonder, and this is more for a blocking standpoint, how important Rylan Goatee and or Jaquara Spive are going to be for this team. They've only been here for the summer, and uh, in the, they weren't here in the spring. Are they going to be able to pick it up? Are the players around them going to be able to mentally, you know, vibe and and have that chemistry with them to where they can anticipate their movements run smooth smoothly uh to their spot taking into account where those tight ends are supposed to be i wonder how that's all going to work and if it's going to be i think that's going to be the source of some of our growing pains gonna be honest if the tight end is lining up in a spot and he's got a run block or pull or counter or you know down block whatever he's doing right next to those tackles especially if you have two guys in there that are having to block that chemistry is just as important as the chemistry the offensive line uh has to build themselves so i wonder if uh if you know you're going to have some see some guys miss some blocks, maybe some things like that. Uh, I know tight ends and pass protection aren't isn't much terribly much of a thing, but that's kind of where offensive linemen can get confused, and it could get and it could lead to some confusion early on for Mississippi State. Hope that that gets cleaned up soon if it uh, if it is a point of confusion.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's another big thing to look at where the tight end has been pretty heavily utilized um, at Barbe and his previous stops. Maybe not in terms of total production, although. Look at App State. His lead, the guy who led in touchdowns, was tied in with five touchdowns on the year. Um, which I do think you get down to the red zone, you're going to see tight ends get targeted quite a bit more. Um, that play you mentioned with Joe Moorhead, the you know leaking a tight end out with the quarterback as the option to keep it or flip it out. I Barbe will run that. Um, I think we we saw some of it in the spring game. So and that's a a way to get touchdowns down there in the red zone. Um, and to your point about the blocking, I, I know they ran some. Some lead type plays with the tight end, uh, both off counters and off of like inside zone lead, uh, using them as a, as for sp- split zone where he comes across the the, the line of scrimmage. So it's definitely going to get you know more involved. Luckily, you're the two guys you have brought in are guys who came from offenses where they are regularly doing that. Um, and you know I think your your two primary starters are going to have plenty of familiarity with that. But it is true, like the tight end has been a position that state fans have talked about for years you know, getting more involved in the offense where Mullen, you know, you had him out there, but most of the time they were blockers, really outside of Malcolm Johnson who he would throw to a bit. And then with Moorhead, he was going to have a tight end out there all the time because he wanted to do exclusively be an eleven personnel. And then, you know, you saw what he did at Penn State, I believe it was Mike Gasecki get like hitting him for a lot of big plays. You never saw that at an issue. So now you go into more of a pro style system where tight ends are going to get featured a lot more. That's definitely something that I, I, too, am interested in – I would say the biggest thing for me in terms of being interested is just how much do they try to do on offense. Um, you know, you're coming from an air raid where you were incredibly simple, right? And I know, uh, you know, you were really only running a handful of plays. It was never as limited as I think a lot of people think. People say, oh, they run like five plays. It's It's a good bit more than that. But compared to a lot of other offenses, yeah, it is pretty limited. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of the fan reaction is good, right? We want to be more complex. We don't want to be so simple. What I will point out is, you know, Lincoln Riley, take a look at his call sheet that he's using on, on Saturdays. You know, the guy who runs the best offense in the country consistently has a little folded up sheet of paper, just like the guy he learned from. Um, that Tennessee offense that everybody's enamored with, I'm telling y'all they are simple. They do not do a lot. It's that they find ways to make it complex for defenses. So. You don't have to run a lot of plays or a lot of concepts to be a really effective offense. It's more how do you find ways to present it to make it difficult for the defense to understand. And one of the things with pro style systems is that, traditionally speaking, you do try to do a lot, because. And Barbe has talked about we're going to have a lot of formations, a lot of shifts, motion, personnel groupings. We know the number of concepts is increasing across the board. How what well do they pick it up? And I, I know Rodgers is saying he feels as comfortable in this offense as ever felt. I know the offensive line all seems really excited. And look, I, I expect them to say that, and I'm not saying that they're not telling the truth. I'm, I'm sure they are. Um, I, I, I'm curious to see, though, like, okay, how many different things do we break out? Do, do we keep this mostly, hey, he, these are our 30 key concepts that we choose to lean on, which is a pretty standard number for a, a lot of really good offenses these days. This is what we build around, and then, you know, we have all wrinkles here and there, or does it become like, what you see from Jimbo Fisher, where he's out there on the sideline with, like, two different binders and a bunch of laminated sheets of paper. Um, that, that's just one of the big things that I, I'm curious curious to see here. All right, now we do have to have the negative part. Dan, what concerns you on offense?
2: That there's just not enough chemistry between some of the guys. I mean, yeah, O-line, you think there's going to be chemistry, but uh, some wide receivers, it really just tight ends in there as well and and will will rogers be the guy to to lead this kind of offense can it can he lead it right can he be a good quarterback i mean obviously last year people you know, I at times I, I i didn't stand behind will rogers so i mean new offense am i gonna have the same field i don't know guess we'll find out
0: golden what's a concern for you
1: There's nothing that I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be terrible at XYZ. I mean, I guess the concern is the really the only way, the only way that that's terrible is if either Will Rogers or everybody else on that side of the ball can't pick up what's going on. Kevin Barbey is lying to us about, you know, putting his players in the best position possible. We're all getting Joe Moore headed again. Um, he's gonna run nothing but this wide stretch zone uh all for the office of linemen to try to set up for next year because it's something that takes forever to pick up we're not gonna be able to pick it up and we're gonna waste our great schedule this year for a team uh to get ready for 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 years down the road when uh next year is going to be a brutal schedule with a lot of young players and we really should be trying to put all our eggs in the basket for this year so That's a bunch of hypotheticals that I don't think are going to happen. There's nothing on this offense where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, clutching my pearls, you know, and that's a good thing. Everybody's a senior, so I feel like everything at minimum should be at least around average, slightly below average, mediocre, but nothing's going to be terrible.
0: And, yeah, that is a good point, that I don't think there's any massive, massive concerns. It's a lot of hypotheticals, right, because we just don't know Exactly what the offense is going to look like. We don't exactly know uh how Kevin Barbet is going to call things. What Zach Arnett allows him to call. I know Arnett has been very vocal that he wants to give Barbet the type of freedom that Mike Leach gave him, and I'm going to take his word for it. But at the same time, a lot of times coaches say things and then they don't always follow through on it. So we just ultimately don't know. I would say for me, my biggest concern, and I'm going to hold firm with it, and I do agree that. I'm not like overly worried, but i it's probably teetering more towards a question than a true concern. But I i do have legit, and not legit, but some concerns about the offensive line. I understand this has been, Colton, you just kind of got it. This has been a big talking point, right? Run blocking versus pass blocking and what's easier to go from one to the other. For me, it's not a run blocking thing, not specifically. Um, I think this is a group that is more than capable of – Pushing guys back off the line of scrimmage and successfully run blocking. Um, what well, I, I thought they, for the most part, did a good job when they did run block under Leach. I think a lot of them have the build for it, and I I hear the argument of they, they played in these offenses in high school, and I know Cole Smith got asked about it this this week. Um, you know, it's like hopping back on a bike, getting back to it. I, I'm not saying that they're in. It's not that I don't think they're capable of it. For me, it is. It kind of goes back to my my question, which is. How much are you asking them to do? And then of the stuff that is a little bit more complex, how quickly do they pick it up? Colton, you brought up the stretch zone thing, wide zone, outside zone, whatever you want to call it. Like, a lot of people are mad at Cole Kublick because they feel like he's been completely off base with his assessment of MSU because he talked about Will Rogers under center. And look, the under center thing is incredibly overblown. But people were clowning him over the offensive line thing where he talked about having questions about State's ability to transition to that, where because he, he went on, you know, hate Dad's show and said, I think it's tougher to go from, uh, go from this to a tra- – go from the area to a more traditional offense than from what they were doing before Leach to Leach. And his point was not so much that he thinks these guys can't run block. His point was specifically that zone play, the stretch zone, the stretch play, there's just a lot of nuance into blocking it, and it takes teams' time. The, a lot of the teams that build around it, typically that that is their go-to run. They don't do a lot of other stuff in the ground game because of how much it takes to, to really – if you're going to make that your focal point, it takes a lot of reps. It's very – in a way, it's kind of Air Raid-esque, where Air Raid, we're like, we're only going to run a few things because we trust we're going to rep the crap out of this and that we trust we can run it no matter what we see – The teams that build around the wide zone, that's how they view that play. Now, we don't know if Mississippi State is going to be a wide zone team. But you saw a lot of it in the spring game. And it does seem like they're going to maybe trend that direction. So if you're going to do that, that might take them some time to pick up, which I would have a little bit of concern about. What about the different pass protections? Like, your pass pro was very, very simple under leech. Like, it was basically you had your, your your quick game pass protection and then your drop back pass protection. And it didn't really get more complete. Like, it was like, you these, these are your two protections that you're going to run, and that's it. You can do a pro style system. You're going to have a lot more protections that you're running. Because think about, it, like, you know, full slide protection, full zone protection, all that type of stuff get, gets implemented in with a system where you're doing more. It's not that I think the guys are incapable of doing it. It's more how quickly do they pick it up? That's sort of my whole big thing. So, an offense is going to ask and I'll,
1: I'll I'll take away from my point and add to your point. Cole Smith, this was a long – this was ages ago. But Cole Smith in 2020 had trouble calling out protections, snapping the ball, and blocking, and doing all three of those things every play. And now he's going to be asked to do that again at center. Well, so, it, you, it, you do
0: have. Some... Well, what I was going to say to be you clear, know. maybe he's not the one calling the protection anymore. Now the center is all, almost always still going to come out and ID something for the line, but what? Okay, stuff like whenever you hear a quarterback say like "52 is the mic," the reason he's pointing out who the mic linebacker is is because that's the, that is them setting the protection to that player, or if it's a run scheme, okay, we are considering this guy the middle linebacker. It doesn't have to necessarily literally be the middle linebacker. We were saying, but for us, this is the middle linebacker. And then your rules for who, who you are responsible for goes off of that. Will Rogers never had to do that, though, within the area. That's you know, something for me. Is he going to be doing that now within this offense? And how well does he pick it up? But the, the offensive line still has an aspect of that as well. So it's not that I think it's a bad offensive line. It's not that I think they're incapable of doing any of this stuff. It's how quickly do they pick it up? That's sort of going to be. If I find a concern, it's that because so much it starts and ends up front. Because I look, I think Will is capable of running another system. I think the skill talent's really good on the team. It's how complex do they get and how well do they pick things up? Is sort of my overarching concern, or, or more question than concern for for the offense. Now we're going to take all of that and do it for the defense. So Dan, back to you. What is something that excites you about the MSU defense?
2: That front seven, uh, I'm high on them. And and just the fact that there's uh experience. So experience front seven. Colton.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow it down a little bit from what Daniel said or what Dan said because that's very I'm um, very similar. I'm just really excited about your linebacking group. Uh, the three, 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 five. You know, if we run a four-two or whatever, those linebackers are super important. You don't have two guys be one and number one and number two in the SEC without having a focus on linebackers making plays in this defense. And you've got two guys that have seen everything. They've played pretty much every team in the SEC. They've played against Bryce Young. They played against Quinshon Junkins. They have played against Rocket Sanders and KJ Jefferson. They've uh, they've they've done it all. And they're not going to be caught off guard by anything. So I'm really excited to see how they go. Um, even more so than the entire – like, I I'll, I'll there I do have some question marks about the defensive line, so I'm going to just kind of restrict it to those three guys. And also the depth there. I think linebacker is one of your deepest positions. All the young guys behind them are really talented. You've recruited very well at that
0: position. You know, I've been trying to give different answers. But I would say I agree. The linebacker group is what excites me about this defense. I, I think even with a new starter at Sam linebacker, it, whether that's Deshaun Page or whether it is the guys we've been discussing with J.P. Purvis or John Lewis, um, to me, that's one of the most talented groups on the team. And when you've got the best linebacker tandem in the SEC and then a good group of guys behind them, in a defense that puts a lot on its linebackers, I think that's a, a positive sign for an issue. Um, They've recruited really, really well at the spot. I think they got a lot of really good options there. I think D-line is going to be really solid. But if I would give something else just to give a slightly different answer, I am excited to see what the Cameron Richardson does at corner. Um, because it, it, there's, there is a level of him flying under the radar because so much of the secondary discussion is that you're completely revamping that side. um, And he hasn't gotten the attention that guys like Emerson and Forbes did because of you know more of the splash plays and the early NFL hype. But he's apparently starting to creep up draft boards already. He played well for much of last season. And, you know, again, this a, a defense that puts a lot on its corner, I, I'm excited to see if, if he can be that guy who continues to kind of hold that down. Um, Dan, what is a question that you have about this defense? And, and, again, it doesn't have to necessarily be negative. It's just something you're curious about.
2: Just curious to see uh, how the secondary does. Uh, I guess you could view it as a concern, but just, yeah, you lose Forbes. It's huge. How do the guys behind him stack up, right? How is uh, How does DKM work as a uh, going head-to-head against uh, the top wide receiver on opposing offenses? Just want to know what that looks like, uh, see how they do. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think it. Of teams that were playing are there any that just have like a huge prolific offense i mean alabama's kind of going back to to what they they were successful in during the past and and lsu more is just the mobile quarterback kind of thing you don't have the insane offenses you had with with guys like you know when to talk about alabama joe burrow at lsu maybe that helps them out i don't know we'll have to We'll have to see where the SEC is kind of going with that. I'm sure, I mean, it'll Miss' off. It's still going to be kind of that kind of way. But you got a whole season to get ready for that game too. So, just want to see how they do out.
1: Yeah, I, well, I think when you think about – just kind of talking about Dan's question. You don't – you're talking about the back end specifically of the defense. Texas A&M has really good receiving core. LSU has at least one really good receiver, and I guess we did say last week that they are really like their young guys that are coming up, coming on. They do. A lot of the teams are very unproven at receiver, though, that we're going to play. Um, South Carolina has one really good receiver for sure. Arkansas, no. Ole Miss, no. Auburn, no. Alabama, surprisingly, a little bit soft at receiver. Um, trying to run through some of these other teams that we play. Uh, Arizona. Kentucky, is Arizona will have some good receivers,
0: and I, I will say Southeastern Louisiana, like the best players on their offense, are in their receiving core. And one of them was an SEC signee coming out of high school. I'm not saying they're going to light up MSU, but I'm saying that they do have some talent here. To be fair, we'll talk about them later. But. Yeah, so I guess if we're going
1: to pivot to my question, to my answer to this question of my of I guess what we're just kind of curious about. I'm very, very curious to see how much rotation there is with Matt Brock calling the defense instead of Coach Arnett. Because last year, I think if we had a complaint about the defense, you had a lot of the guys playing pretty much the whole game, getting maybe tired at the end of some games, but also not getting a lot of experience for young guys. Like, we, we kind of all wanted to see Trevion Williams and Calvin Dinkins play their four games. I think this year they're going to uh, – the Red Shirts obviously off. They're going to play some. Um Got we talked about that linebacker core and how strong that they are from a depth perspective in, in terms of talent, maybe not experience. And then on the back end, you've got enough competition back there that I think the rotation is gonna be pretty strong. And you know, Jacoby Albert is younger, will have some years left. Hunter Washington, same thing. Um, Kamari Rodgers, I think DeCarlos Nicholson will play this year and next year because of uh he has a COVID year while well, he was at geco but the reason'm I'm, I'm curious is because we talked about how next year you could be really really thin, really really thin at a, at a lot of positions. everybody right now on the uh, starting as a senior. So let's see if we can get those uh, those younger guys mixed in a little bit more often. Not only you know you can't play for next year. you can't do that. I'm not I'm not putting you know a bunch of sophomores on the field on third and five to win the egg Bowl. Because I'm thinking about next year. Absolutely not. But if we're up I am I'll be honest. Jett Johnson and Bookie Watson do not need to play a snap in the second half against Southeastern Louisiana. I know they will, but they don't need to. Um Jaden Cromedy, same thing. We hope Cameron they don't Richardson, same thing. We we well, hope they don't need to. They they we should, very much hope they, they don't need to. They I, shouldn't I think need every to coach, I think every coach is a little bit too competitive to not to pull them out in the first half. But if I mean if, if I know like 20 like 21 or 24 to 0 at halftime or to, or 28 to 10 wouldn't won't seem like a huge lead and you're going to have to pad that lead, but you got I would start mixing I would at least start mixing in guys liberally in the second half unless you're just in trouble because you've got to get some guys some reps. So I'm just curious to see if that if they do that this year better than last year. That's probably my one gripe with the defense last year.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, you want to see that rotation. And my question actually kind of builds off that. I'm just curious about how Matt Brock calls his defense. Um, you know, Zach Arnett has said that he thinks Brock is a less emotional play caller than he is, meaning uh, Arnett has a t- had a tendency at times, especially early in his tenure at State, to just, okay – a play happened that made you mad, I'm calling it all out wins. And that's how you get yourself in trouble. That's how you give up big plays and game changing touchdowns. Um and, and he he's talking about he thinks Brock is a lot more uh not conservative because he's still going to be attacking, but uh reserved rather with, with how he's going to call plays. And that there's there's more thinking into it rather than emotion. But I, I do I'm curious to see what type of change ups do you see um do you still send as much pressure as you did previously because of the questions on the back end uh where if you send pressure typically that means you're going to be playing man at least it, it, it did for msu when msu sent pressure they were playing man coverage can you play man coverage as much with the guys that you have there in the secondary now? if you still want to send that pressure does that turn into more zone pressure looks um you know how how confident are you, and how much more frequently do you send guys like Bookie Watson and Jet Johnson on blitzes, or not even necessarily blitzes, but rushes, because you have questions about who, what your pass rush production from the Sam linebacker looks like? So, I, I guess some of these would be you know questions if Arnett was still calling the defense, but with Matt Brock, where there is a little bit of a schematic, maybe not schematic shift, but maybe more of a philosophical shift in how he wants to go about things. Um, because I do think Arnett, at least previously, had a very set way that he went about calling his defense. What changes there? Um, now for the concern, uh, Dan, what's the big thing that concerns you about the Bulldog defense?
2: Yeah, sometimes I just I feel like their uh, their style just might get a little bit stale out there. I know it's kind of weird, but all the guys that have been out there uh, just a little overconfident, right? If you listen too much to uh the noise in house, right? Everyone's gonna, everyone in is like, Oh, you're great, you're fantastic, you're great. You know, you, you're not going to have as much of an edge to you. Uh, I, I hope they keep that right. And obviously, uh, depending on what happens with Matt Brock and 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 our net with Colm plays, you're going to figure more of that out. But I just hope they don't get a little overconfident of themselves. Uh, and remember, still look, you know, everyone is going to be doubting you out there, use that as an edge. Um, and 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 go take what's yours. So I just a little bit concerned about that. I know it's not really like a a straight up tangible thing. I'm I'm concerned about with the defense, but just knowing that like all the time we're gonna be playing a lot of teams that just in terms of pure athleticism are usually sometimes a bit better than us. Let let's try to figure it out and make sure that uh that we still get that edge right uh that almost played that chip on our shoulder like we normally do as Mississippi State. You know. Not as respected, and and that's okay. Just go out and take it,
0: right? Go out and take it. Colton, what concerns you?
1: I'm concerned that we're not. I'm concerned that we've kind of oversold how much production we have back, and we're not thinking about. And I know we're not thinking about the losses of Cam Young, Tyrese Wheat, and Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, I think it's hard to oversell, um, or and nobody is underselling. The loss of Emmanuel Forbes clearly that's a big deal. I think the Cameron Richardson's going to kind of dampen that a little bit, but we had opposing coaches say that they did not game plan for anybody specifically more than they did Tyrus Wheat uh, in 2021. At least I remember that being said. Um, Cam Young is an NFL player and has been heralded as an NFL talent since the first year of Joe Moorhead's tenure. I don't know how I keep mentioning him, but Bob Shoop said then that this guy's a future NFL guy. And he was a stalwart for you for three seasons uh, after that. And so those are some guys that, you know, we haven't really quite seen it yet out of, you know, your Nathan Pickering, your DeMonte Russells, and uh, Jordan Davis's. And I know that the injuries to Jordan Davis have been brutal. But other than Jaden Cromedy and obviously Buki Jett, uh and I'll throw Deshaun Page in there. He's a proven player. Um you know, there's been a little bit of hit or miss up, uh, on those areas. So a very big concern is that those guys' losses are felt a lot more than we're projecting. Because we're all – this is what – and I've said this before on the show, how there's a disconnect between how much returning production the national media thinks that we have versus what we think that we have. You know, we know that at receiver, we're not worried about losing the players that we lost because we recruited well, we're having, we need to play less receivers in this offense now. And you're going to, some guys were maybe underutilized. And now uh, you've recruited very well at those positions. You're not, you know, Justin Robinson, what he can be. You not we're not worried about it. On the defensive side though, I think that you kind of have a point if you're the national media of who you're losing. You know, all your safeties, although I expect that to be a step up for this year, or at least maintain talent-wise, they should be able to maintain Jalen Green and, and um Jordan uh Jackie Matthews were good players, I think, for you last year. But that third spot was very hit or miss. But then especially those spots up front and and uh Emmanuel Forbes, can you replace them? How do you replace them? Do you replace them by committee? I think you have to. Uh worst case scenario, those guys were the heart and soul of your defense without the unheralded heart and soul of your defense last year. I guess Emmanuel Forbes Forbes was very heralded heralded, but and you kind of fall apart this year without them. I don't think that that happens, but it, it, it's a valid thing to be concerned about.
0: I would say for me, it's just as a whole pass defense. Um, you, you, you just talk about the pieces that you lost, that both up front and in the secondary, that impacts what your pass defense is going to look like. Um, four new starters in the secondary. I, I said earlier that I'm excited to see Dcam play and I think he's going to have a good year and hold down his side of the field, but that's just one player. Um, your safeties get involved in coverage a lot it, with, within this scheme, and oftentimes matched up one-on-one, That would, which has been a weak point for us in the past, which, again, that's one of those things is that something Matt Brock changes. But how well do they handle that? How well does Asai Spurge or Kamari Rogers or DeCarlo's Nicholson or whoever else handle the opposite corner spot where they're going to be matched up one-on-one? And, um, I think state mostly keeps its receivers on one side of the field. They occasionally would move a guy around like Emmanuel would occasionally move around. But for the most part, you know, he was playing on one side. dcam is going to be on the other side. Well, if you have an offense that moves its receivers around, if you have a corner that is going to give you problem, if you have a corner that you could take advantage of, they're probably going to match that receiver up. So, you know, eh, how well do they match up there and, and how well can they handle those roles? And then what does the pass rush look like to take pressure off of him? Because Tyra Wheat, like you mentioned, was so dominant up front, and so so, so much of a terror for opposing offenses. Um, Cam Young being a, a, I've said it many times, a space eater in the middle and allowing those pass rush lanes to open up for guys on the edge, like a Randy Charlton um, or a Tyra Wheat, or also if you're going to blitz Buki Watson or Jet Johnson. All right, they're typically coming up the middle, coming around to cam young um he's taking up space so that they can get through freely is nathan pickering able to pick up on on that role i i have real questions about you know the guys you haven't covered what was that sorry i said
1: somehow i didn't even mention randy charlton and that whole spill
0: absolutely him too yeah very much great player for us made the play of the year in the egg bowl um who your guys are in coverage and how they can play. And then who are the guys that are getting after the quarterback? Those are big questions for me. I do think this is a good defense. I still think there's plenty of talent. I think you have talented options at every spot that I've been talking about as a concern, but it's, they got to prove it, right? We haven't seen that yet from those guys on a consistent basis. So that's a big thing for me as a concern with this defense. Now we're going to move over to some stat projections uh, and we'll start, we'll go back on offense here. Will Rogers, Goes from the air raid offense where he's MSU's all time leader, pet leading passer. Uh, he's just about 2,400 yards away, I believe, from becoming the all time leading passer in SEC history. And I do think he will hit that this year, even though the pass production is going to go down. But to that point, new system, not going to be throwing it as much. We'll be throwing it further downfield, which could negate some of it. But still, the overall production is going to go down. Like you're not going to see Will passing for 350, 370 yards a game like he was doing previously in the air raid. So starting off with pass yardage, over under 255 pass yards per game for Will Rogers, and for context, in a 12-game season, that would be uh, 3,060 yards, 13-game season. Obviously, you're looking at around 3,300 or so. So, Dan, over under 255 pass yards per game for Will Rogers. Over. Colton.
1: Mine's going to come in more words. Is that okay? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so I had, I, I'm, I had to see what they needed per game. I did out of 13 games to break the record. And it's about 190. 190 per game to break the record in 13 games. So I had my, my first thought was: like, Is there a big enough gap between what he needs and that number, your number that you came up with, to uh, to justify the under? Because I have to, I do think he's going to break the record. I'm going to go under, and my reasoning is: um, Hopefully, he's out of a couple games early. That'll be Southeastern Louisiana, Southern Miss, fingers Western Michigan, maybe fingers crossed. Um, I also think. And this will play into an answer of another question that you're going to have a few drives with Mike Wright in the game that uh, take some passing yards away from him. And I just think that you're going to, with the new first down rules, there's going to be less time in games, less snaps for him to get those yards. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all you will not, you will see a lot fewer national conference, so and so, whatever you want to say, single season records, and then eventually career records broken from now on as long as those rules are in place. Nobody's talking about that. But nobody's going to be able to break, you know, yards, especially yards records with – I mean, you're probably taking away 10 or 12 snaps per game.
0: Those are very good points that I'll admit I did not consider. I, I literally only thought about it through the lens of, we know State's going to be running the football, more, um, and that's going to take touches away from them. But you're right. Um, you know, you, you mentioned – you know, garbage time stats. He didn't come out of the game all that often under Leach. Um, Even against, even when State, the few times that you had State beating the crap out of a non-conference opponent, Will Rogers was still playing into the fourth quarter. I don't think it's going to happen now. And Mike Wright will will definitely get some snaps and and the clock rules. Yeah. That's going to take some time off of it. And if MSU goes to being more of a, a, a run heavy team, although to be fair, they were very ball control under Leach. Just in the national they were, of they were, but but some of those games took a long
1: time. I, I remember that Vanderbilt game. That uh, we I think they even went to a, they kind of cheat. They went to, not a running clock, but after four minutes they quit stopping it for. You know how after four minutes you're supposed to stop it for like everything in the second half. They quit doing that. Uh, and I remember that was in 2021. It being so long still because you just threw the ball so much and you scored a lot. And every touchdown, obviously, takes time. To, to, you know, have a commercial break, do all that. These games, we're going to have, a, especially with the clock rules, man, two and a half hours, three hours max on a lot of these games. I'm still going to take the especially over. Especially on Ole Miss. Or, I mean, they're running the ball every play,
0: too. I'll still go over. I, I still I think it's going to be right around here. I think I, I, I tried to pick pretty good numbers for, I, I think, a lot of these over-unders that we'll have, which we – We actually only have a handful of them, but I think they're pretty kind of dead on to where this will probably be. I will lean slightly over, though. I do think they're going to still throw the ball enough that he can – that's about the range where uh, I think Chase Bryce at Clemson was like right at 250 a game. Not Clemson. uh, App State last year was like right around – no, he was like 245 a game or so. But I think Will can have another 10 yards a game than, than he did with a better group of receivers and an offense that's a little bit more built to and I, I mean, he's a better quarterback. Now, over under 29 and a half passing touchdowns for Will. Essentially, we're saying, does he get to 30 touchdowns or not, which is sort of like that typical benchmark that you look for for high volume. So, Dan, how about you? Under,
2: because oh, – I'll get – I'm actually giving an explanation now. Whoa. Uh, I say under because, yeah, we're still going to pass a lot, right? A lot of those rushing touchdowns came from Jaquavius Marks. He's still here, right? The goal line, even even near the goal line, still to Jaquavius Marks. Not as much to Dylan Johnson. He only had three touchdowns last year. I think you're going to see some uh, some plays near the end zone, especially in, like I mean, inside the ten, maybe even the five. Mike Wright might be out there. That's why I'm going to say under.
0: Colton.
1: I'm I'm gonna go under for some of the same reasons. I think you got Mike right. I think uh, you've got a lot of running backs. If you, if you get, I think with Jeffrey Pittman, I don't know he's not listed on the starters, but also DeQuavious Marks, you get into that first and goal from the one or two. You're gonna Kevin Barbe is not gonna want to play around and do something cute. He's gonna want to punch it in. Um, I think your red zone threats. You've got some really great receivers, but other than Justin Robinson, who maybe hurt a little bit, that's where I'm kind of leaning here. I wouldn't call them red zone targets. I'd call them great field stretchers, great playing in space, uh, make guys miss type of receivers. But you've got unproven red zone, your typical red zone targets at tight end, haven't done a lot. And then if Justin Robbins is a little bit hurt, that's going to be a more impetus to run the ball when you get down in the red zone. So I'm going to say under. I'm saying under for all my Will Rogers things, but I want to, to stick this caveat. He is going to elevate his draft stock this year and also the offense is going to keep pace with, at least, if not step up because of not necessarily stepping up because of the scheme, but stepping up because of the experience.
0: I, I'm also going to go under here for everything you guys have talked about. Right. Um, I, when you get down to the red zone, I fully expect Mississippi State's going to run like they have an offense that is now designed. We get in a goal line situation. We want to just be able to pound the pound the rock, get it in the end zone. Um, and I look, even though you're going to get a few long, more long touchdowns, I don't anticipate that you're going to get enough that it offsets to where he's still throwing for 30 plus. So I think probably uh, 25 to 27 touchdowns for Will this year. Have a nice, solid season. Uh, but I do think, it maybe even maybe even a little bit more than that. But I don't think he'll quite hit that 30 mark. Clavius Marks, Woody, another player that there's a ton of talk about. I've seen Mississippi State fans starting a campaign that he is the best running back in the state of Mississippi, which Okay, Um, but he is a very talented player who is obviously in for kind of a breakout year because, you know, he's going to be the starting tailback now in an offense that will run the ball more. And he is very explosive. He has shown that ability throughout his career. What does the production look like for him, though? So, Dan, is Woody Marks a thousand yard rusher and we'll say 13 game season, but a thousand yard rusher in 2023?
2: Not quite almost but not quite reason being the guy sometimes just got banged up a little too much right uh the offense that he had before he'd catch pass in the open field to get open field hit and and it's not quite as just running into the line of scrimmage or or getting hit at the the second level right i mean you're you're talking about you know you're running head-on collision with other dudes what, he had like 580 last year, I'd say about 950, 900. Uh, also, I mean, I think rushing the ball is going to be kind of spread out just a little bit, uh, especially if Seth Davis is that number two or, or Simeon Price. I mean, they're, they're both solid guys too. I think uh uh what he doesn't quite get there uh, is just about how much he's on the field. I, I just don't know for certain.
0: Bolton, what are you going with here?
1: This one's tough. This one's tough. Um, I can't in good faith say that Will Rogers isn't gonna hit these benchmarks and that the because of the uh, a because of the run game and then not put my faith in the run game. I'm gonna go with over. Now, again, the biggest detractor for me is that you've got a pretty thick running back room. Um, you've got guys that can share carries, and Kevin Marbay has not been afraid to share carries. I'm gonna the reason I'm gonna say over though is if he's healthy and injuries are a concern, I think a lot of those injuries came with having his back to the defense a good bit uh, under the air raid. Great for, you know, a great proving ground. If you're trying to be the prototypical modern, very modern NFL running back is to play in the air raid. Cause you got to do a lot of pass protection and catching and, you know, they'll figure out the run part. You'll run enough to at least get some film, but not very good uh, to put up a lot of rushing numbers, obviously, as a college player. And, and, Turns out maybe not great for your health. Uh, you know, getting decleted a couple times without a chance – pretty much defenseless uh, as you turn around to catch a little slip pass or something like that. Going to be less of that. So I think that he'll be able to stay healthy. And if he's healthy, I think he can get 1,000 yards. I mean, 1,000 yards in, in 13 games, that's 76 yards per game. So mars can get 76 yards per game.
0: I'm still going to take the under. Um, I, I hear your point about, like, getting hit from behind – and that is, you know, there is a concern there, but, or that is, you know, you you understand how that can be causing a problem more than your typical hits between the tackles. But to Dan's point, he still got banged up a lot. And that makes me feel like you're going to see him a couple times this year come off the field. But for me, it's more the running back by committee thing. I think you're going to see Simeon Price get a lot of touches. I think clearly now Seth Davis is going to get a lot of touches. Mike Wright is going to get involved, I think, in in the run game and take touches away. Um, I'd be surprised at this point if you don't see uh, Kayvon Lee factor in or or Jeff Pittman or one of those two. So it's like, yes, they're going to be running the football more, but I still think it's going to be pretty spread out in terms of who's getting the ball and who's taking those carries. I think we will have a good season. I think he's clearly going to be the lead guy and and have a nice, nice year, but I I don't think he hits that 1,000-yard mark. On the receiving side, who do we have leading this team in receiving? And we'll go in yardage. So, Dan, who leads in receiving yards for you?
2: Uh, I'll go standard. No, no, I won't. Xavion Thomas. Ooh. I was going to say Tulu, but I'll take Xavion.
1: Colton. I'm a – I'm glad you did, because I'm gonna go ahead and take Tulu. And this is why I got one. All I always say one thing: those little touch passes where you can basically hand off the ball forward, those count as passes. That'll probably be at least twice per game with Tulu. So if those are passes, if those are receiving yards, then all those screen stuff are gonna add up. I think. I don't think there's gonna be a focused effort to take to put the ball in anybody's hands other than Tulu until you get in the red zone. Then you're gonna focus on Justin Robinson.
0: So, I assumed that we were going to get either two Tulus or a Tulu and a Justin Robinson, and then I was going to be the unique one and say Xavion. Because Uh (laughs) the reason I I say that – I out-unique to you. Is I think Xavion is in for a massive year. Colton, you talk about those little touch passes. They did that with Xavion, too, in the spring game. He has a (laughs) similar skill set and i think you're going to see him get a few of those touches but i also think he has the take the top off the defense potential that Tulu does not where we we all saw the catch right we know the potential that he has is a downfield receiving threat i don't know that tulu i think tulu is that okay you know get him on a crossing route over the middle and you know let him work in space and it's it's all yards after catch which of course you can put up big numbers and i i compared him to cool Pimpleton. Templeton led CMU in receiving with over 800 yards. So two look could absolutely yeah. be done. But I, I kind of think Xavion is the one who is going to get that combination of everything where he's going to get the quick touches off the screens and off the jet sweeps while also have the big plays. That said, just to give us three different receivers, because the, the guy who first came to mind for me was Justin Robinson. I think he is the most natural answer. And even if there are some concerns about maybe he's a little banged up early in the year, I think you're still going to see him be kind of a, a typical target on the outside for an issue. And I think he'll be who ends up leading you with touchdowns for sure. Um, if I, if I had to wager on it. So we'll, we'll, we'll take three different answers there. I, I was going to try to make an argument for Xavier to be unique, but just, just to give it all, we'll, we'll say, I'll say Justin Robinson there. Over on the defense. Who has the most sacks? Dan. The guys returning. I'm going to go with the guy who has the most
2: of returning players. Nathaniel Watson, five and a half. Not quite as many as last year. I just don't see. A, just looking at the line, it's hard to see. Just one guy racking up a ton of sacks. It's just hard for me to see it at the moment. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to go with Nathaniel Watson. Golden. I was.
1: I was thinking bookie too. Uh, I think there's a whole argument on on another show about how another podcast. How oh, Bookie doesn't have a lot of sacks. Sacks, yes, he does. He absolutely does. He led the team. He was tied with the team lead last year, I think. If not by himself, but uh, I want to say Bookie to be a little different. If I wasn't going to say Bookie, I would maybe say Demonte Russell. That's the guy. You know. You know that. Uh, Jaden Cromedy is really good. You know that um, what Nathan Pickering kind of brings to the table and what their game is, and it's not pinning their ears back, rushing the passer. They contribute in a lot of different ways. We haven't seen Demonte Russell as much as we would have liked. That's one of those guys who played that Tyrus Wheat kind of position a little bit, where you can be a little bit of a Sam linebacker, a little bit of a defensive end. So I do think he's more that prototypical pass rusher, and we need a big season from him. So this is kind of me being optimistic. If Demonte Russell has seven or eight sacks this year. God forbid, 11 or 12, um, that's going to bode well for your team.
0: You know what? I'm going to say he goes off for a monster year. I will take Jaden Crumity. He had two sacks in five games a year ago. I do think they can line him up on the edge a little bit, even at D-tackle. So not a prototypical edge player. It's probably going to be a defensive end or a linebacker, but I will go – with Jaden Crumedy. just i think he has a monster year even though he's a d tackle all right who do we think leads this team in interceptions dan who do you got uh that's tough i guess
2: i'm gonna go with it i'll go d cam I don't know man I honestly I have no clue so I'm just gonna guess the top defensive back I don't know what else to do
0: (laughs) it is a bit of a crapshoot because there's always that fine line between are they gonna throw at them enough that they get the opportunities for interceptions and then how often or or like are they just that good that they're going to naturally get them Colton who you taking
1: this is one of those where I, you're right. It's a crap sheet. I I kind of want to split my vote. Can I split my vote between? I'm going to say decam. I kind of wanted to say Marcus Banks. I'm not going to be different just for the sake of being different.
0: So who are you taking?
1: i no. I said I'm going to say Dcam.
0: I'm okay. not going.
1: I, would have picked Marcus if I was going. If I was going to force myself to be different than Dan, I would have said Marcus Banks. But I'm not going to
0: do that for this I, one. I actually am taking Marcus Banks. Just kind of that I, I do think they'll probably teams will probably try to throw at him a little bit more. Um, but he and he's going to be in coverage on like on matched up with the receiver most every play. Uh, but I, I think he'll get those opportunities. So, but I also think he's good enough that he'll be able to get. It's like I think D Cam will be in coverage, and they're not going to throw at him or I hope they don't, I think the other corner will be in coverage and they probably will throw at him and they might have some success. I think Banks, they're going to try to throw it in, but he'll be able to pick them off. So there's my logic there. I'll take Marcus Banks. All right. Total stat predictions for offense and defense. Over, under 32.5 points per game for the MSU offense. Dan. Under. Uh, yeah,
2: under. I, I just don't think your games against like Alabama and LSU are going to help you. So, under. Bolton.
1: I'm going to go with over. I think over – what were we last year?
0: Like 31 point something or 32. Right there? Yeah. So By the way, 32 – uh, 31, 32 is kind of the range of most decent Mississippi State. nah I shouldn't say decent. Solidly good Mississippi State offenses since the Mullen era. That's kind of where that's been. That's why I picked that I number. I think
1: uh, – you're going to be approaching last year, except you're not playing Georgia. You're playing a little bit of a leakier defense in South Carolina. Your Kentucky game's at home. I don't think you're going to bottom out offensively against Kentucky. I think you're going to do a little bit better against – I think you're going to score more than six against Bama. And then every if every other game is comparable, you're going to hit that over.
0: I literally just earlier today – sat down and, like, okay, what is a score I think is reasonable for Mississippi State in all 12 of their regular season games and then averaged it, and I got, like, 31.7. So, technically, I'm on and under. <laughs> um, I, I I do think you might see more consistent production from game to game and drive to drive out of the offense. I, t- I tend to think what they it won't be as high and up, up and down as the air raid was where it's a bit I'll, volatile. I'll add you another
1: one. This is another thing where that – running clock on first downs plays into it. If that takes away a drive per game, that's going to take, that could potentially take away, you know, three points, give or take per game.
0: Very good point. I mean, like I I think state will probably be like right around this total. I think they're going to score between 30 and 33 points per game about all offense. Yardage over under 435 yards per game, which again, that's kind of, about where a lot of these MSU offenses have been. So Dan, what do you got?
2: I'm gonna go under on that one too. I, especially now considering the the clock thing. Yeah, under. Uh it, I, I'm going I, I'm going I, I, over. I'm going over
1: for the same reason I was taking the over on the points. I think you will play you'll have a similar production of last year and, and you're swapping out some some Parts defenses from last year to some softer ones this year?
0: I'll take a slide over. Um, I think that kind of goes in line with I have Will over 255 passing, which if you say that, I think they would have to – I think if you say 255 passing, it's 180 rushing a game. But I think if Will is around 260 and then you're down around 175 or so, which I can actually see this team running for about that because I do think they're going to run the ball a lot more. Um, So I'll, I'll take a slide over there um now on defense over under 23 and a half points per game allowed
2: Dan under I like them I like this defense under I'm
1: going I'm going over I think uh some of those concern I think some of those concerns some of those growing pains that I was talking about earlier are uh, might come into play
0: I got over I think it's probably 24 25 points per game or so allowed so I I, I think especially because the secondary is a concern for me. More likely to give up big plays, more likely to give up points off that. So uh, that's where I have it. And then over under 355 yards per game allowed for the defense.
2: Shockingly, I'm actually going to go over.
0: Uh,
2: I, I, I like the defense in the red zone. Uh, and and so you may, may give up some of those yards, as long as you can catch them and tackle them before the end zone. Uh, it's more so just a hope. But, yeah, give up a lot of yards. Give up just field goals, though. That's what I like. This is a, this is a hard one for me. This is
1: hard. Uh, I'm going to say... Hmm. We haven't talked a lot about turnovers. And turnovers on both sides of the ball... Can make can skew scores, right? Because if your offense is turning the ball over in its own in the opposite red zone every all the time, that's limiting the other team's yards offensively. And six, likewise, if you're getting a lot of turnovers yourself, if somebody drives nine yards down the field and then you force a turnover, well, that's a lot of yards, not a lot of points. And so that's how can you be all sc- call skewy? Are we gonna have more turnovers or less turnovers than last year? Last year we had a bunch on defense. Emmanuel Forbes had many of those on his own. Um, Tyrus Wheat. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say over, but it's right on that line. And if it was under or even if it was well under, I wouldn't be terribly surprised, but I'm going to say maybe 358 yards per game, like that that close.
0: I think it's going to be pretty close to here. I actually will say under, and I know that might go against, you might think that goes against what I said with the passing or my point totals, but I think they could be shaking a pass defense. I think run defense will be strong. I don't think they're going to be giving up many rush yards per game. I I don't think they're going to be elite, but I think they will be a good rush defense and maybe a little shaky pass defense. So I think that's still – like you can might give up some of those big plays and give up the points, but I think the yardage isn't going to be ridiculous. So I'll, I'll go just under on that. Breakout player. Dan, who do you see having a breakout season for the Bulldogs?
2: Probably taking a lot of people's picks. I don't care. Xavion Thomas on the offense. Yeah, we know him in special teams, but we're about to see him in offense, guys. I'm excited.
0: Colton, who do you got?
1: On either side?
0: It, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do it offense, or def- offense and defense, whichever player you want to take.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Marcus Banks. I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised. Did I take yours, Andrew? No. Okay, you kind of you kind of shook your head. I was like, "Dang," um, I was like taking,
0: nodding and like, "Yeah, it's a good pick."
1: I'm taking Marcus Banks. I think he's got a couple picks. I think, you know, man to man coverage from your safeties has been a sore weak spot for this team. That and obviously rushing quarterbacks. I think your man to man slot receiver coverage is going to be as good as it's been since uh the three three five was reinstated at Mississippi State.
0: I'm going to also stay on defense, a guy that I mentioned early in the show. I'm going to say Deontay Anderson because I I know he was ultimately listed third in the depth chart at at defensive end. I have to think – I do think some of the camp buzz is legit. I also just at this point in their careers, I kind of feel like I know who DeMonte Russell and Jordan Davis are. I think Anderson is going to push for reps, and I think he could be a guy that ends up like the talent that he had coming out of high school where he was, uh, you know, a highly rated recruit for MSU in that signing class. I actually think you'd see that uh, reach the field this year. And I think he, by the end of the season, is going to be one of those guys when you talk about where is MSU generating pass rush from and who are the players you can be confident in going forward. As like Colton said, you're losing a ton off this team for next year. Who's a guy you can lean on. I think Deontay Anderson will become one of those guys. There's been a lot of talk about freshmen. Oh, yes, Surprised somebody, surprise somebody took John Lewis. Yeah, I, I just think – I think, I, I thought about it, but I was like, you know, I, I think Anderson might end up kind of being that guy. Um, and the fact that there's just not a, a, a been consistency in picking either Lewis or Fervis and Sam, um, that leads me towards one of the ends. There's been a lot of talk about freshmen getting early to his playing time. We talked about Seth Davis. We uh, – you know, Creed Whittemore's guys guy who's come up a lot. And I, uh, we'll include redshirt freshmen in this if you want to. Dan, who is the freshman you think has the biggest impact for Mississippi State this year?
2: Yeah, I got to go Whittemore. Uh, basic pick, but, I mean, he's probably going to have the most touches on offense – like, of oh, freshmen, that is, have the most touches on offense, so – don't really see anyone in the O-line. Don't really see any defensive guy really getting a whole lot of playing time, uh, unless you count Trevion Williams, but I'll still stick with Creed Whittemore.
0: Alton, who are you going with? I think there's
1: only five names you can go with for this. Uh, I'm sure off the top of y'all's head, y'all could put together who I'm going with, or excuse me, who, uh, who those five names are. I'm just going to go with one that hasn't been mentioned yet and deserves to be. And that's Isaac Smith. If Isaac Smith had been, had not been hurt in the spring, I think he'd be starting at safety. I think uh, he's a guy who's going to be your three or four year Jonathan Abram type player. Uh, that's a guy who can lay the wood, who has great instincts. One of the few players I've actually watched, like not ext- when I say extensive film, like not a whole game, but like more than a couple highlights. And the guy just has a nose for the football, and I know that's a very overused cliche, and I don't like to use cliches, but he seems to know where the ball's going sometimes before offensive players do. And that's something that you can't coach. So I'm really excited to see if he gets on the field. If he's healthy, uh, should be fully healthy. He just was hurt in spring. I think that one, some of those older, you know, those Colin Duncan type, you know, your Sean Prestons, uh, your Asiah Spurges, of course, I know that's a different position, those type of guys are the guys whose minutes could be taken by a phenomenal talent like Isaac Smith.
0: That was going to be my answer because I, uh, yeah, I think Smith at that middle safety, the dog safety in the defense, just is is a natural fit to come in and and earn reps right away. And Preston has made plays for him to shoot throughout his career, but he's also had a lot of busts, And I think, that volatile nature to the way he plays is going to get Smith on the field a little bit more. And I think Smith is going to show out. But if I were to pick somebody else, we, we mentioned him, Seth Davis, the fact that he more than really any other freshman, has gotten so much buzz in camp and has vaulted up the depth chart as a true freshman running back in an offense, that's going to put a greater emphasis on running the football. Um, and also I think we'll, you know, I'll say this, and you know, one of the things that I, I didn't always get with, with the air raid was uh, the passes to the running backs were rarely the designed ones. where I felt like screen passes should have been utilized a little bit more, or getting those guys as, as an option as a downfield threat. Like we saw the one long touchdown Simeon Price had against Bowling Green on a seam route. That stuff I, I feel like I, I would have liked to see if State done a little bit more previous, under Leach with the running backs. I think Barb A will do a little bit more of that. And I think uh, Seth Davis is the type of guy who gets involved in that role, especially. So I think Davis is going to have a a really big year uh, as one of the backups at at tailback and give you a lot of confidence that you you got a good guy to lean on in the backfield going forward. Bold predictions for Mississippi State. Um, And I will go ahead and say I suck at this. But, Dan, do you have a a bold prediction? I'm going to call it
2: bold because, man – People run their mouth a lot. I don't think we're beating the Aggies this year. Um, People on uh, Twitter are like, oh, we own you, Uh, "Ah, A&M. Shut up. People talk too much on Twitter. Like, it actually bothers me sometimes. I'm not stepping in because, like, look, the wise man just – he lets the fools talk. So I just sit back, watch all the nameless accounts who don't – like. We don't know who they who was running these accounts. are all like, you know, talkity-talk, all this and that. I don't know. I know it's weird. as a bold prediction, I guess. But to, and to the rest of the national media, it's not really a bold prediction. But, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Uh, I don't think we beat the Aggies. And I just – yeah, I guess I'll keep it short and simple like that.
0: Bolton, what do you have as a bold prediction? What a downer. Who, who yeah, <laughs> golly dude like i'm
1: gonna i'm gonna go against the grain a little bit well it's a bold prediction that's the whole point so that's a terrible phrase to say my bold prediction oh i'm gonna i'm gonna hate this at the end of the year because this could be so wrong my bold bold prediction is that will rogers is the fourth to sixth quarterback taken in the 2024 NFL Draft. And that's a strong draft class for those of y'all keeping track at home. That, that would be bold. I think, I think the third – that's a very bold take. I think the third quarterback taken in this year's draft will be better than any of the quarterbacks taken last year. Maybe the last two years.
0: So – my uh, bold prediction, and this is a bit of a downer too. I, I was trying to find one. Here, here's my thing. I, I said I suck at this because I can't – I have a hard time finding one. I, admittedly, I didn't do enough prep to find if there's a superlative that I think can happen but is also bold. I, I suck at that, um, and I didn't prep for it this time. So I'll say we score double-digit points against Alabama. Um, <laughs> that, that There's going to be – I wanted to say – Mississippi State leads the SEC in rush defense. But then you look at Georgia, who gives up about 70 yards rushing a game and has for the past five years. I don't think State's run defense is going to be that good. So that – it would be incredibly bold, but I also don't think it's all that realistic because of who you're sharing a conference with. Um, I mean – shoot. I mean, what what is something that, that could, could stand out? I don't know. Does Justin Robinson break the MSU single-season receiving record for yards? Oh, wow. Like, I, I don't – that, that would be bold. I, I don't know if he would – I can't remember what the total actually is. Um, It's like 1,080 or something like that. It's nothing molds? crazy. Molds doesn't have it. Molds never had a 1,000-yard no, season. Polk or Ross, right? They both went over – it might be Marty McDoyle still. Um I, I don't know. That I'm not. I'm fun. not making that my prediction. I don't. I don't really have a good one. So I know I asked for this prompt, and I'm not really flying anything. But oh I God. had a hard time finding one. Um. <laughs> okay. Now the actual, the actual records. What is your prediction for the season, Dan? Where do you got the Bulldogs finishing?
2: You know, like y'all just called me a downer. Wow. I mean, with that downer thing. I mean, I'm thinking around seven five. Uh, not gonna specify a whole lot of games. Obviously, we know about my thoughts on the Alabama and LSU games. Uh, but South Carolina—it's a tough one. a a tough one. Egg Bowl is gonna be a tough one, guys. Like, I'm just—I think we beat Arkansas and Auburn. I do, but man, oh, I don't know. It's tough. seven and five. Just I'm um, stick with it. Leave it. Not gonna say anything more on it. Seven huh? and five and we go to the Texas Bowl.
0: Finally, finally go to the Texas Bowl.
2: If we're 7-5, we should go to the Texas Bowl.
1: Um I'm I'm going to go against the what I said. Oh, excuse me, I almost was going to go against what I said kind of in our preseason shows, which would have been 8 and 4. I almost talked myself into 9 and 3 today, but that's because I think I think we are a little bit overselling LSU and Bama and I think that you maybe can get one of those games but then lose two games that you would that Mississippi State fans are going to be very disappointed to lose. I'm not
0: doing it though. I'm going to stick with 8 and 4. I'm going to be with Dan and I'm also going to take 7 and 5. And for me the way it breaks down is I don't think you're beating LSU or Bama. I know the games are at home but I I don't think you're beating them. So that's going to me two losses. And then I see six games on the schedule that are toss-ups between A&M, Arkansas, Auburn, South Carolina, Kentucky, Ole Miss. Well, if you split your toss-ups, there's three more losses. I think you'll win the non-conference games. Um, but I think, the, like, people keep talking about we have eight home games. That's great. The problem is your toss-ups, four of them are on the road. So – how, what does your record in those games look like? It's kind of what it comes down to. I think eight wins is very possible, um, but I think be, the road home split specifically with toss-up games being on the road, and then you factor in just, I think you're going to drop one here or there, which just was so much new, um, that, that puts me at seven and five for, for State. I don't think that'd be a bad season. I don't think that'd be a disappointment. I, I think that would be a solid year one. For Zach Arnett. I understand there's high expectations for this year because of what you had coming back, but I do think the schedule is a bit tougher than a lot of fans are realizing. Um, but I also look there's there's a world where you can get to nine wins and have that big gear if everything clicks. Um, and I'm starting, and I am leaning more and more towards having confidence in the team itself. My concern really is just it's that schedule that because of where you have to play the games that makes me drop them down a little bit. So it's
1: going to be a really interesting year in the SEC because I don't think anybody outside of Vanderbilt thinks that their team's going to lose less than seven or less than five games. Excuse me, more than five games. Arkansas fans seem to think they're going to be right at eight and four, nine and three. Auburn fans seem to think that they're going to be better than six and six. I actually haven't heard as much from Ole Miss fans as I normally do. The A&M fans think that this is their year. Uh, LSU and Alabama rightfully thinks they're going to be good. And then on the other side, I think pretty much everybody expects their team to be top three in the SEC. Well, we can't all be top three in the SEC. So it's very interesting to see who's going to be right who's going to be wrong. If that's I think the one biggest monkey wrench that we haven't talked about that will stop us from going eight and four is just what if every team in the SEC West has made strides to this?
0: It's certainly possible. Um, there is a lot of turnover across the league and a lot of questions with every single team. I think this is one of the more jumbled-up years within the SEC West that we've had in a long time. Um, So I don't think State's going to be a bad football team. I think they'll actually end up playing solid ball. I just think the schedule might get them a little bit because of when the games happen, where they happen, that's kind of the thing that concerns me. But now we actually have games to talk about. We've done all this big preview, super long show, I know, talking about the season. We do need to talk a little bit on the opening game. We're not going to go deep into a deep dive here. Southeast Louisiana, FCS opponent, you think Mississippi State should be able to get the win. If you want a deep dive into the, the Lions, we did a, a non-conference opponent preview episode a few weeks back. You can go listen into that. But just a few things. Look, this has been a good FCS program. They're a preseason top 15 team in the FCS, and were picked to win the Southern Conference, which they won last year. Um, got a, a good receiver, Maurice Massey, back on the outside, a good tight end, and Ivan Durrocki, uh who, who led them in touchdowns. Uh, preseason all-conference defensive end and Arlen Williams, uh, who they like, a good group of linebackers, are replacing their entire secondary. So there's some pieces there lost for them, but I, I think they like their team up front on both lines of scrimmage overall. Quarterback's an interesting thing for them. Uh, Eli Sawyer it was the leading passer a year ago, but split reps almost equally with Cephas Johnson, who was more of the runner. Johnson's currently trying to make it as a wide receiver with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In fact, I, I didn't see maybe he made the roster, maybe he didn't. I don't know. Um But they brought in a kid from Northwestern State who is a rival in the same conference, Zachary Clement, second team all-conference a year ago. Uh, He comes in as another compliment alongside Sawyer. Um, He's a little bit more of a runner than Sawyer. Sawyer's not a runner at all. He's a true pocket passer. Uh, Clement can add some dimension with his legs. They feel very confident saying that they'll run a two-quarterback system. That's something you can expect out of them. Um, So – Look, this has been a pretty good team. I do think they have some interesting weapons on offense, and I am curious. I mentioned this earlier in the show. How how do those receivers match up against State's DBs? New look secondary. Yes, Mississippi State, an SEC team, they should be able to handle their business. But that is something I'd be watching when when MSU's defense is out there on the field because, you know, Southeast Louisiana, when you you watch them, they like to run the football. They are a run-first team, uh, and they're very diverse offensively. They'll get into a lot of formations, run a lot of different concepts. A lot of personnel groupings. But they tend to run to set up pass. Top two running backs from a year ago are gone. Cephas Johnson was the third leading rusher. Like I said, he's gone. And the guy who's back, Rodeo Graham, maybe this is completely unfair to the kid based off just a few clips watching here and there, but it felt like every time I heard his name called, it was either a minimal gain or a tackle for loss. That might not mean anything. He might actually be a really good player. But I don't know if he's as dynamic a runner as the group they had before because the guys before pretty good in that backfield. And I also just don't think running into the MSU defensive front is that smart of a move. So I think you're going to see Southeastern try to come out and throw the football a little bit on MSU. Might be a little bit of a, a tune-up game for State secondary. And uh, when their defense is on the field, I mean, look, they don't do anything special. I, I heard a good point today listening to a, a podcast, um, the the Play Callers Club by Coach Dan Casey. He was talking about Navy versus Notre Dame and how Navy, despite being so undersized, against Notre Dame, um, you know, he, he was talking about uh, Sam Hartman doing such a great job of checking things and audibling at, at the line of scrimmage because Navy, you would think Notre Dame should just be able to line up and just run the football right down Navy's throats, and they did, but it wasn't just as simple as just hand the football off, push him ahead. Navy shows a lot of stuff up front to make to confuse defense, confuse offenses, and Hart, the point was Hartman did a great job correcting that so you can get yourself out of a disadvantage if you're good at if you disguise stuff up front msu runs a defense that does that i say all this to say i don't think southeastern does that on defense i think they, they're they gonna play pretty standard they're just gonna be a standard four down front every single time play out of two high safety coverages i mean i think state's going have plenty of opportunities to just kind of run the football straight ahead of them. and i also think state will have opportunities to take deep shots down the field they were susceptible to deep shots a year ago while having four all-conference DBs. Well, those four guys are gone. So I think you're going to – like is that Kevin Barbey wants to run the ball to shut up deep shots downfield. I think he will have plenty of opportunities to do that in this game. I think Mississippi State should be able to handle business. I do think Southeastern has enough pieces that they can score a few points here or there. But, Dan, I mean, just what is something you're watching that you are interested to see in this game? Because I think we all assume a big win for MSU. So what are you looking for?
2: Does uh let's see the other way I can word it. That's nice. Does uh does Will Rogers grow up and throw it deep? I'll say that. Does he grow up and and just throw it deep? Come on, man. Southeastern. All right, these are kids who it, it, where I come from who aren't to high school. You went to Southeastern if you couldn't get into LSU. And it it, it wasn't all too hard getting to into LSU, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> um, for
1: me I think what I just want to see is first of all I'm interested in coming on here with you Andrew and seeing did we just manhandle them or did we execute and win offensively especially that way it'll be hard for my spot up high to see are we just throwing them around or are we you know stepping in stride and going exactly where we need to go everybody do, on the same
0: page. I'll tell you so now. Like it'll to be to... Sorry to interrupt. I think it'll be hard to tell one way or the other, unless there's like clear, obvious, like, okay, you can tell this guy did the wrong thing, but it didn't matter. I think we'll probably well, just I'm, kind of out physical. I'm telling you right now to be on the lookout for it. It's your assignment this weekend. What I'm
1: most interested in, and we talked about it in a previous show. I don't know how much we talked about it tonight. We did a little bit. I want to see – some pass rush. I know against these teams, uh, Louisiana Tech did this to us uh, a couple years ago. Quick passes, quarterback draws, lots of things to negate the pass rush because up front, especially on the edge, that is where SEC teams are separated from these other teams. So they want to mitigate that, kind of like how the air raid uh, puts athletes on a level playing field. I say this all the time about the air raid. It, it takes the athletic advantage out of the equation for both teams. If you're if you're the athletically superior team running the air raid, you give guys a chance, uh, especially uh, on the perimeter in terms of receivers and DBs, to do a little bit of things different and not just get out physical. And then the same in the same vein, when you are the air raid, you can use that to your advantage and uh, not get out physical. I think that S- uh, SLU obviously they're not going to try to for southeastern whatever we call them. Um, They're not obviously not going to run the air raid, but they're going to try to do some quick stuff, uh, especially get those talented receivers in space. Avoid, you know, dropping back nine step uh, drop backs and airing it out. I want to see if we can get some pressure anyway. That'll be a good sign for me. Can we get pressure? Can we blow things up so quickly that even their little three step drop, you know, quick hitters
0: uh, don't work. That would be impressive for me. I'm right there with you. I, I want to see pass rush, get after them. And I want to see our, our our secondary not give up big plays downfield. That's a big thing for me. And, and then on the other side of the ball, I'm just – I'm curious what all they do. I, I really I really am. I, I don't know if what they did in the spring game is fully indicative of what the offense will be. I don't know if what Kevin Barbade called at Central Michigan and App State is fully indicative of what the offense will be. I am just – cannot wait to see what are they running. But then, of course, I mean – is what they run against SLU going to be what they run later on in the season? So, but my my eyes will definitely be on you know what are we doing on the schematic side of things offensively, uh, just for fun, real quick. Give me what you, you think the first play of the game will be and what the touch what the first touchdown of the game from MSU will be, Dan.
2: And honor of the man, the myth himself, we're running mesh play one. Uh, I'm gonna go oh. bold and say 48-3, just dominate. That's what I hope and I expect.
0: Well, uh, there's your score. Who do you, who gets the first touchdown? though? what's the first oh, touchdown? Oh, oh
2: yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm tired of Uh, uh J Rob, Colton,
0: go ahead and you can give okay. your score prediction while you're at it.
1: I'm excluding a tribute play for Mike Leach. Okay. Excluding that first play. Pistol formation, toss right to Woody Marks. It's gonna be a little toss play. Not a not one of those fake forward passes like a true run play. But it's gonna be a little bit of a kind of a stretch kind of situation to the right.
0: What's the first touchdown?
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go bold, really bold here. Second and in inches, quarterback sneak. <laughs>
0: Okay, what's your final score?
1: I'm gonna say 52, 52 to 10.
0: All right, uh, I'm gonna say first play of the game pistol formation, jet motion from Tulu, but they're gonna run the stretch play, not a toss, like a, it'll be outside zone handoff to Woody. Um, kind of similar to what they showed in, in the spring. First touchdown, I'll also go bold. Under center, play action to a tight end. I I, I won't specify a player because oh, I like don't know that. which one's going to be in, but I think they're the, the play they showed on Twitter that everybody got excited about, where Will did a play action under center fake in a, for a touchdown to a tight end. I think it was Harman. I think that'll be the first touchdown. Um and I'll take 48-17. I, I know I'm going to, 17 might be a little bit high, but I do think. Garbage time, they could hit some plays. This is a decent FCS team, and they might get a drive early on as the secondary still works things out. We don't have a ton of time here, so we kind of have to run through our game picks for week one pretty quickly. But we do have two, 10 games to pick through. Mostly we would pick SEC, but most of the SEC games suck, so we got a lot of national games. Starting off Thursday night, the Florida Gators travel up to Salt Lake City to take on number 14, Utah. Not sure if Cam is going to play for Utah. Also not sure if Britt Keithy, they're great tight end, whether or not he's going to play. Dan, which way are you leaning? Still give me the Utes. Florida's just not good enough. Colton. Easy pick. Utes. So it's not an easy pick for me. I think Florida, if those guys are out, I think they can absolutely win. I I I think Florida's getting hated a little bit too much. I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people realize. But as a respecter of mountain conference football and teams that play in those in the altitude, as a respecter of Utah. I have to take Utah. Nebraska. I will, I
1: will, in. I was saying something the other day about how uh, Utah or how, or I was saying something about how SEC teams, most fan bases are predicting their teams to all be pretty decent. I haven't heard a Florida fan run their mouth this summer. So I'll, I'll throw them as the one, one of the few teams that we're not expecting much from.
0: Another Thursday night game debut of the Matt rule era. They go on the road to Minneapolis take on the Golden Gophers. Uh, Minnesota does lose a lot from where they were a year ago, but still have a few key players. Dan, who are you taking?
2: Minnesota, row the boat. Go flat.
0: You know, when you put this, I thought thought NU was
1: Northwestern. So uh, I'm still going to go with Minnesota, just because I don't feel like
0: thinking about another team. (laughs) I, I will go with Minnesota. I think Nebraska can get to a bowl this year, but it might take a little bit of time. Coach Prime's debut. Fox has been hyping the crap out of this. They travel for big noon Saturday, travel to number seventeen TCU. The reigning national runner-ups, who do replace a lot, have a lot new. Can is is Coach Prime coming? Are the buffs coming? Are they winning this game?
2: No. TCU. Next, please.
1: Well, I think uh you should have asked. You should have asked do they win by double digits or or single digits? because I would have picked double digits, and that would have been a very hard
0: decision. Uh, TCU by three scores. Thank you. Boise State at Washington, Chris Peterson Bowl, uh, number 10-ranked Huskies. This should actually be – could be an interesting game, but uh, who do you got, Dan? Nah,
2: give me the Huskies. Come on. Keep keep it coming. I like it.
1: I'm right with Brandon Walker on Washington. They're good. Dylan Johnson,
0: uh, third team, Pac-12 all-conference. He was named starter today because their other starter got hurt. Uh, but, yeah, I, I will take the Huskies. I do think their passing game is going to be too much for Boise. Battle a couple air raid teams. Washington State goes to Colorado State. Now, Colorado State was horrible a year ago, but year two in the air raid, got a lot of guys back. Is there a chance the Rams could pull off an upset against a Pac-12 team at home?
2: Nope. Wazoo, let's go. <laughs> I'm on fire. There's
1: no way no way, Mike Leach's old team loses on opening weekend this year. Texas Tech is in two. Just go ahead and put it out there.
0: I will say though, Matt Mummy is the OC at Washington State. I know. I, at, at I know. I know. But I know. it is Leach's old team. I also take a Wazoo, but I think Colorado State covers spread. All right, we do have to go fast here because Zoom is running out. We don't have time to keep doing this. UTSA versus Houston, they played a thriller three overtimes thirty seven to thirty five a year ago with Houston getting the win in the Alamo Dome. Dan, who do you take? Houston,
2: welcome to the Big 12. Road
0: Roadrunners. I've got UTSA. Houston has massive questions this year. UTSA is the better quarterback. I think they're the better group of receivers. I think a be- they're the better team. Uh, I like Dan Holgerson, but I- UTSA. South Alabama at 24 Tulane. Tulane goes to New Year's Six Bowl a year ago. South Alabama won 10 games. What do you got?
2: Tulane. Win week one and they're winning week two. Next, please. I like, it. I like it, I like it. I'm gonna
1: agree. I'm gonna agree. I, also, why is Tulane playing so many Sun Belt teams?
0: Because they have like history. It's regional and they have history. I guess. I'd schedule like the power. them. you taking Tulane. Tulane, give me the Jazz. I'm telling you, they're one of the top ten most experienced team in the country. South Alabama is going to be legit. They're winning the Sun Belt this year, and I think they can take down Tulane. All right, again, rapid fire. South Carolina, North Carolina, just give me your pick.
2: September, Rattler sucks. Go, go go, Tar Heels. I forgot what they were.
0: South Carolina, one and four in the month of September. And this isn't the one. Go Heels. Uh, West Virginia, Penn State.
2: <laughs> yeah, go Nittany Lions. Woo, big season coming for them.
0: I don't know why you put this on here. Because there's not other games. We are Penn State. Is that what they say? Yeah. Penn State's going to kill them. West Virginia is going to be a train wreck this year. Uh, goodbye, Neil Brown. All right. Game of the weekend, LSU-FSU. I know we'd love to expound, but we don't have time. Who <laughs> you got? Joe Knowles. Jordan Travis-Heisman. Top,
1: Joe Knowles. I'm also
0: taking Florida State. Listening to Cole Kubel's Mason's breakdown, course. there's some things that actually actually concerned me about LSU's matchup in this game because I listened to Cole Kubel. All right. So I got the Knowles. That's going to do it for us today. We know we had a massive episode, but hey, football's back. We'll be back to talk about whatever happens against Southeast Louisiana. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to these two for hopping on. As always, swing your sword. Hail State.